I'm sure you noticed there was a common theme in all of those songs, right? I would also ask you to do something that I very rarely ask anybody to do, and that is to not open your Bibles for just a minute. I'm going to read you a passage. <laughs> There's one in every crowd. Um, I'm going to read you a passage, and it's a very familiar passage, but I want you, instead of scuffling the turn there and all of that, just listen to the words. I'm going to read it verbatim out of the New King James Version, and just let the words, even if you've heard them a hundred times or a thousand times, just let them sink in for a minute. It's from Ephesians 2, 5 through 11, from the English Standard Version, and it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. As I mentioned in Bible class this morning, occasionally we might hear somebody say something like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, and most of those things, like I said, we're not going to care about. It's going to be a non-issue non at that point. But one of the questions that might be more realistic for us to at least hear somebody say today, and the one that serves as the title of tonight's lesson is this. <clears throat> Was it really worth it, Jesus? Perhaps that question might come to mind on one of those days, and by the way, we all have them might come to mind on one of those days when we feel personally so utterly worthless. We feel so unworthy. We have let the Lord down yet again. Despite our best efforts, we have done it again. And we cannot, for the life of us, see how it could possibly have been worth it for Jesus to go through all he went through for us. But we know that we were worth it to him or else he wouldn't have done it. And probably as you hear that question, was it really worth it, Jesus, as, as I said that, maybe probably the first thing that comes to mind is, is what he suffered at the cross. Was it worth that? However, tonight I want to take a little bit different tack with that because none of us are probably ever going to be put on a cross for our faith, for anything else either. <clears throat> But that verse begins, or that passage begins, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So there are certain things that we have to be prepared for in our mind to deal with like he dealt with everything he dealt with. In other words, in order to do what he did, 
and get where he is, we must first think like he thought or else we will not. The world puts us through a lot. It's no secret to any Christian. The world puts us through a lot. Satan will stop at nothing, absolutely nothing, to see that you and I never make it to heaven. He will stop at nothing. Jesus warned us about this very thing in John chapter 15, verses 18 and following, when he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's a promise, by the way. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus lets us know there that if we follow him, there's going to be hateful, hurtful things done to us, just as there were hateful, hurtful things done to him. That goes with the territory. It's part of being a Christian. And he tells us that, and he's straight up about it. He's being honest about it, as we know. And he says there, hated him without a cause. They had no cause to hate Jesus. And his point is, they're not going to have any cause to hate you either, but you're like me. And just as a side note, before we continue, one of the things that we're going to see with Jesus, and we always need to keep this in mind too, when Jesus talks in that passage about the world hating both himself and his disciples, he's not just talking about worldly, non-religious people, but also, in some cases, religious people with a worldly attitude. Who led the charge against Jesus? It was religious people, wasn't it? Wasn't it the Jews? They led the charge. Who led the charge against the apostles? Religious people. When Paul would go into the Sabbath throughout the, oh, go into the Sabbath, go into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he would teach like he did in Acts 13. He was teaching in a religious setting. Who was it that wanted to cast him out? Who was it that wanted him stoned? It was religious people. So again, it, it's not just the world, but sometimes it can be religious people with worldly attitudes. As we consider this and we think about Jesus, we know that it was his own people that rejected him. John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. We, we know that. We know from Galatians 4, 4, and 5 that it was, again, his own people that had a problem with him or a bigger problem with him. And, and as I think about that, it, it begs the question, Jesus, was it really worth it? Was it worth it? Truly? And again, when we hear that question, as I said before, the first thing that comes to mind is probably the, the things he suffered on the cross, and, and rightfully so, but, but here's the thing. 
Philippians 2.5 starts with, have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, you and I are not going to go through a cross for our faith, likely. But there are other things, because it says we need to have our mind have the same attitude as his, even though we're not going through the cross, there are things that we will go through that we've got to have the same mindset. We've got to have the same one that Jesus had. In other words, there are things that we can probably far more easily identify with that Jesus went through before the cross. There are things that he went through that, that are more common that we might have to. And we need to be both mindful of them and prepared to deal with them. I'm going to give you some examples tonight. First example, Jesus just like all of us, all of his disciples in all ages are to do, Jesus Christ worked very hard to gain and maintain a good name. He worked very hard to gain and maintain a good name. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 and Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1. And while Jesus was going about doing good and he was trying to, to show his integrity to people and, and who he was and, and he healed them and he reached out in love and he did all of this, these things. I want you to just think about some of the malicious things that were said about him that he didn't deserve. I want you to think about some of the things, some of the false and malicious, hurtful and hateful things that they ludicrously charged Jesus with in order to ruin his good name. That's what they were out to do. Long before some of the dreadful things they said and did to him during the crucifixion. Number one, the first thing they sought to destroy was his reputation. His reputation. You know how they did it? They said he hung out with the wrong people. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. He eats with sinners and tax collectors. And if, if we were to go there, and we're not going to, but again, it's Matthew 9, 10, and 11. Basically, they said he, you know, he's hanging out with the wrong people. He's, he, look, look, look at the crowd that he is with and that he is staying with. Basically, what, what they're saying is, is that if Jesus hangs out with that crowd, he's as bad as they are. And I want you to think about that. Was Jesus perfect? Yes. Was he holy? Yes. Was he righteous? Yes. Was he sinless? Yes. And so to say that he was as bad as the sinners and tax collectors, to say or even somehow infer that he's as bad as that bunch he hangs out with was something that was totally opposite and malicious of who Jesus was. They were trying to destroy his reputation. Not only that, but some set out to further, his, further destroy his reputation by falsely accusing him of being these two things. You ready for this? This just, wow. They sought to destroy his reputation by falsely accusing Jesus of being a glutton and a wino. Uh-huh. I can give you the text. The, the, the text uses the word wine bibber. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, and Luke 7 and verse 34. By the way, a little bit of background on, on these two words that are used there for glutton and wine bibber. The only time that those particular Greek words appear in the New Testament are in those two passages, Matthew eleven nineteen 19 and Luke 7 and verse 34. We all know what a glutton is. 
The word wine-bibber means, according to Strong's, a wine-bibber, one who is given to wine, or a wino. They call Jesus a wino. Not a rhino, but a wino. I want you to think about how ludicrous that charge is. We know that neither elders, deacons, or the men and women of the church are to be given to wine, or they're, they're, they, none of them are to be winos, if you will. And we find this out, of course, in 1 Timothy and Titus. We know this, okay? But yet somehow, even though elders and deacons and men and women of the church are not to be given to wine or, or winos or wine bibbers, what they were willing to say is that Jesus, the founder of the church, was a wino. Even though Jesus, who was God in the flesh, had divinely dictated centuries before through King Solomon, what King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, uh, 20 and verse 1, wherein he confirmed that wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So, so here's the God that dictated that, and they're saying he's a wino. Nothing could be further from the truth. Not only that, but it is this same God in the flesh who through the Holy Spirit dictated, again, the writer of Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, who wrote this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. God knows the danger. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I wasn't hurt. They have beaten me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. God had the writer of Proverbs write these things. God knows the danger of wine and alcohol and what it can do to you. Does any of those things I just read from Proverbs sound like you're Jesus? Some drunk that's just out there looking for another drink? That is one of the most ridiculous, ludicrous, absurd. It, it defies the imagination. And yet, they sought to ruin his good name with that. In their own utter and outrageous unrighteousness, that's what they ludicrously charged him with. And it makes you, doesn't it make you just wonder, Jesus, was it really worth it? Your good name that you preserved so well, was it really worth it? Even that, to, to, was it worth it to just keep on serving and, and doing what God wants you to do? And I mean, and to put yourself out there and put yourself on the line, Jesus, was it really worth it? And if you think that's a ridiculous charge, check out some of these. Secondly, they sought to destroy his credibility. They said, he's out of his mind. Mark 3 and verse 21 and John 10 and verse 20. They said Jesus was crazy, insane, out of his mind. I want you to take a moment, think about the insanity of what they just said. Jesus was God in the flesh. 
Jesus was there at the beginning. The worlds were made by him, through him. Colossians tells us that. John 1, 1 through 3 tells us that. Here is Jesus, the one who used infinite, perfect, absolute wisdom, Proverbs 8, 1 through 31, to make the world. Jesus had complete knowledge, infinite wisdom, shaped the world, shaped us, shaped everything in it. And they said, he's crazy. <coughs> Nothing. Do you see the diametric opposition of the two things? They said he's out of his mind. Have to wonder, Jesus, after all you did for these people and all the wisdom you used in the creation of the world, was it really worth it to just keep going on and serving God despite their, the terrible things they're saying about you? We know the answer is yes. Thirdly, perhaps worse, however, they attack Jesus' godly, moral, personal character. That's number three. His godly, moral, personal character was repeatedly attacked and assaulted by the continual false charge that he, the son of the living God, he, the exact representation of God's being, Hebrews 1.3, was in fact demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. Now, now, again, I don't think we can get our mind around, is somebody calling us demon-possessed or something else, is one thing, but to call Jesus that. Remember who Jesus was? Jesus was God in the flesh. The arch enemy was Satan, is that right? I mean, you could not have called Jesus anything any worse than Satan. Satan was the direct enemy of all that is good and godly and right. And they said that he's demon-possessed. He's serving Satan. I, I don't think we can get our minds around how deeply that one must have hurt Christ. Did Jesus experience all things as we do? then to take one who is God in the flesh and accuse him of being a servant of Satan and Satan working in him and him being demon-possessed, that one must have hurt. Whatever it is that you abhor the most, whatever it is that you are, you are so incredibly not, for somebody to go around and say, yeah, that's what they are, and to spread it all over, that's exactly what they did to Jesus. Character assassination. They said, he's the devil in disguise. They did this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, if you're looking for verses. Mark 3 and verse 22, and Luke 11 and verse 15, it's recorded in all of them. So as we get up toward the crucifixion, we, we know that in their envy, the more they lied about him and sought to convince the masses that he was not who he claimed, the more brazen they became, even seeking out others to say ludicrous, ridiculous, false things about him, including this one. And I want to take you to this one. Turn to me to Luke 20, please. I got I to gotta take you to this one. Luke chapter 20. You want to talk about assassinating his character. You want to talk about saying ludicrous things. You want to talk about that. Check this out. Luke 20, verse 21. And they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. What did he tell them to do? If Caesar's picture is on a coin, then render back to Caesar that which has his picture on it. Pay your taxes. We know the Bible tells us to pay our taxes. We, in Romans 13 and other places, we're to obey the law. So we understand that. But I want you to look at what they said about him shortly thereafter in Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 1 and 2. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. <laughs> That's not what he said. They didn't find him saying you shouldn't pay. He's just told them, look, take out a denarii, look whose picture's on it, and, and render to whom it is due. Render to Caesar those things that are Caesar's. Yeah, pay your taxes. It's got Caesar's picture on it. Give it back to Caesar. He never told them not to pay the taxes. In fact, here's a good one for you. This was the very man, this was the very man who in his moral honesty and integrity even paid taxes he did not have to. He even paid taxes that he didn't have to, just so as not to offend the governing authorities. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Let me ask you a question. When you make out your taxes, how many of you say, you know what? I don't have to pay an extra $1,000, but I think the IRS deserves it. I'm going to give them an extra grand this year. How many do that? Raise your hands. Nobody? Jesus, in his moral integrity, makes a lesson for Peter in Matthew chapter 17, just as I said a moment ago, in verses 24 through 27, and he makes the point that as, sons, as a son, he doesn't have to pay the tax, but, but so that we don't offend them, go, go pay. We don't have to, but, but we'll do it. And this man, in his moral integrity, in front of the whole crowd, this man forbids us to pay taxes to Caesar. There's probably not another one of them that gave more than they had to. But this is what they, and, and as you think about God in the flesh coming to earth, humbling himself, Philippians 2, coming here and, and putting himself through some of this stuff, and, and knowing that, that, yes, the terrible things and the atrocities are going to suffer on the cross, but, but knowing that for three and a half years he's going to have to put up with people absolutely seeking to destroy everything about him that was good and right, lying about him. And, and, you, and you want to say, Jesus, God, was it really, really worth it to go through all of that just in order to get back to heaven? Fourthly and lastly, and perhaps the worst and most absurdly, the one I want to point out is how they accused him of blasphemy. We've been over this a lot in the adult class on Sunday morning, so I'll just give you the reference. Matthew 26, verses 59 through 66. They accused Jesus of blasphemy. Do you know what blasphemy is? Blasphemy's first definition, according to Merriam-Webster, is this. The act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Can I read that again? The act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. 
Was Jesus God? Yes. Were those in Matthew who brought him before the high priest? Who was more guilty of blasphemy? Who was more guilty of insulting or showing contempt or a lack of reverence for God? Was it Jesus? Or those who sought false witness against the Son of God to crucify him? Well, obviously, it's the very ones who are making the charge that he's the blasphemous ones. And, and don't miss this. I think this is a point that sometimes get gets overlooked. Sometimes it's the very ones who's making the most ludicrous charges that are themselves guilty of it. We see that with Jesus. We see it in Matthew 27. The ones who are claiming that this other person is all these terrible things when they're really not is usually the one that, that is guilty of those terrible things. At least in this case with Jesus, we see that. And it happens sometimes. It happened in the Old Testament. Remember 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18? Remember Elijah and Ahab? Remember when they got together? Remember what Ahab said to Elijah? Is that you, you troubler of Israel? Hey, I got a newsflash for you. Elijah wasn't a problem with Israel. Ahab was. Ahab, the very one making the charge, was the problem, not Elijah. And Elijah does a good job of straightening him out on that little quirk in his reasoning. But we see that in both the Old and the New Testaments. And then lastly, when Jesus was fighting for every breath, and we know the story again from Sunday morning class, we know that as your, as your legs are folded and your, your one spike through them and, and your hands are like this, that, that one of the reasons this was so torturous on his scourged back was for every breath he had to get up so he could get air in his diaphragm and then sink back down. And even as Jesus struggled on that cross, These men continue to do their absolute worst, even then, even when he is suffering, when he's down, when he is struggling like he would never struggle again and had never struggled before. When he was on that cross fighting for every breath, these guys kept it up. They tried and continued to do their worst to cast doubt and suspicion on who he really was and even on his relationship with God that he claimed. Think about that. They tried to cast suspicion on who he was as the Son of God, not only on who he was as the Son of God, but to cast doubt and suspicion about the relationship that he claimed with his father. That's like if we did the right things and we're trying to help people out and they accuse us of not even being a Christian, not having a relationship with God, only multiplied a million times. That's what they did. Check this out. Matthew 27 in verse 40, they said, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. He had claimed to be the Son of God. They are seeking to cast doubt on who he is. Secondly, in, in Matthew 27, 41 through 43, it says, Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, Saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he'll have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You see what they're doing? They're casting doubt on even his relationship with God. That's how malicious they are. That's what they're trying to do. How difficult that must have been for Christ to take. How hard that must have been for Jesus to take when everything he was doing, he was doing for them. 
And as we stand back and consider that alone in horrified shock with, with tears in our eyes at, at, at the outlandish lies, as we know the truth that that second thief uttered when he said, this man has done nothing wrong, when we consider that and we understand that Jesus did nothing wrong, don't you want to just ask Jesus, Jesus, was it really worth it? Was it worth it to just stay there on that cross when you could have come down? Was it worth it when they questioned everything about you? Was it worth it when they sought to convince the crowds you're not who you claim and you don't have a relationship with God and they've done everything to defile your character? They've done everything to hurt you. Jesus, was it really worth it to just keep serving God? Just to get back to heaven. Was it worth it? over three and a half years to endure their ongoing attempts to destroy your reputation, discredit your credibility, deny your godly wisdom, mercilessly attack and assault and, and seek to assassinate your personal character and honesty? Was it really worth it, Jesus, to have them falsely accuse you of the very things that they themselves were guilty of in some cases? Was it really worth it, Jesus, to stay on that cross while they denied and publicly called into question your relationship with your Father all the while while you just kept on serving God? Was it really worth it, Jesus? I don't have to ask Jesus that question. You don't either. Because although Jesus never answered that question in so many words, he answered that question in so many more words. He answered that question so many more times as the Holy Spirit dictated to the writers of the New Testament things like this. Listen, yeah, it was worth it. This is, uh, the, the verses I'm about to read to you are Jesus saying, yeah, if you have to get through that, it's worth it. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. You know what that is? That's Jesus saying, yeah, it's worth it. It goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. I love that line. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. I am so grateful that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for me when I go through something, even, even, even on the outskirts, the, the very peripheral outskirts of that, because I have a Savior who knows what that's like. He's been there. Other passages where Jesus told us, yeah, it's worth it. As it is written, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who you can't begin to imagine what God's got waiting for you. Therefore, 
2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Paul writes, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, listen, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know what that is? That's Jesus saying, uh-huh, it's worth it. It's worth it. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10 in the English Standard Version says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know what that is? That's Jesus saying, yep, it's worth it. <laughs> Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. No more pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus went through all that stuff. And he went through it and he endured it and he kept serving God because he knew that heaven was worth it. There was no question. Jesus cries out to us from scriptures like those that I've read, hey, heaven always is, always was, and always shall be far more than well worth whatever it is that you have to go through on earth. So when men do to you, if men do to you, Jesus said they're gonna do the same, but <clears throat> if and when they do the same, doing to you what they did to him, just for following him like he said they would, and they try to destroy your reputation because you're Christian, they try to discredit your credibility, they try to deny your godly wisdom, they attack your character, and when they falsely accuse you of things that they are guilty of, maybe even calling into public discredit or public question that you even have the relationship with God that you claim to, that's what they did to Jesus. When any of those things happen, simply know this. You are walking very closely behind and in the very footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to take up your cross daily and walk and follow him. And just like Jesus, you need to continue to love and honor and glorify and serve and submit to God and leave the rest to God to take care of. Is that what Jesus did? Didn't he entrust himself to him who judges righteously, Peter told us in 2 Peter 2? Yes. And if you do that like Jesus did it, your reward will be so rich you cannot begin to understand it just as we read at the beginning from Philippians 2, 9 through 11. As I get ready to close tonight, I want to leave you with the words that sum up the answer to the question. There's an old hymn not in this songbook, I found out, after I asked for it to be led, and 
It's funny how different regions of the country you have different songs you sing. But anyway, there's an old hymn I want to leave you with the lyrics of. How many of you ever heard the hymn, Heaven Will Surely Be Worth It All? Anybody? Two? Okay, a few. I want to read to you the lyrics of that hymn as we close tonight because it sums up this whole lesson. Often I'm hindered on my way. Burden so heavy I almost fall. Then I hear Jesus sweetly say, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Verse 2, many the trials, toils, and tears. Many a heartache may hear appall, but the dear Lord so truly says, Heaven will surely be worth it all. Verse 3, toiling and pain I will endure, till I shall hear the death angel call. Jesus has promised, and I am sure, heaven will surely be worth it all. Chorus. Heaven will surely be worth it all, worth all the sorrows that here befall. After this life, with all of its strife, heaven will surely be worth it all. Have this mind in yourself that was in Christ. Even though you'll never go to the cross, there are things he went through that you may have to. But never lose sight of the fact that you just need to keep on serving God and doing the right thing according to his word, even when it hurts, and even if it is for the very people who accuse you of things that just aren't true. Why? Because heaven will be worth it. Tonight, if you're not a member of the Lord's church, you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we offer that to you. Tonight also, if you're somebody who is heavily burdened, somebody who has struggled with people doing any semblance to you of what they did to Jesus, first off, know from this lesson that Jesus knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly how it stings. He knows how it feels. And he is so sympathetic to you. But if you need the prayers of the church, because you're just struggling with this burden or any other. The Lord knows what those burdens are too. We can help in any way, get you baptized into Christ. Not everybody's gonna like it, but to be right with God, heaven will surely be worth it all. If you need the prayers of the church either, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.